0: of God this evening and turn to uh, the book of Exodus and uh, we'll be in chapter 10, Exodus chapter 10 as you turn there we come now to the ninth plague and uh, we've been uh, grouping the plagues together into uh, three groups of three. And obviously the last plague, uh, plague number 10, standing alone. And we see a pattern repeated in each one of uh, those groups. Uh, At the beginning of each one, plague 1, 4, and 7, we see that Moses was instructed to meet Pharaoh during his morning worship to announce the plague. In plague 2, 5, and 8, uh, Moses was instructed to go to Pharaoh with a warning that if he did not let the people go, that God would send a plague. And uh, plague 3, 6, and 9, we see that each plague comes without warning. And so now we find ourselves in plague uh, number 9. The ninth plague is just like the 3rd and the 6th plague in that it comes without warning. And while the other plagues, we could say brought about the complete destruction of a property and, and body, this plague is different. There's not really any, if we think about it, any pain inflicted in the sense of um, creatures crawling everywhere or boils on the body or uh, the complete uh, turning uh, the water to blood. These have physical ramification. Now certainly here, uh, there's going to be darkness for three days. And what we learn is that for three days, uh, it's going to bring about the the total immobilization of the Egyptians. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to get out of their beds for three days in complete darkness. So this is quite a different plague than what we've observed uh, thus far. Now point out a few things, but let's read our passage in Exodus chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 21, read down to the end of the chapter. And the Word of God says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be... Felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks And your herds be stayed, let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind, for thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. I want to preach this evening on hear this uh, ninth plague, I want to preach on three days of complete darkness. Three days of complete darkness. If you turn with me as we begin, before we go uh, uh, study our text this evening, I would like to uh, spend some time in Psalm 105, if you turn there with me. There is a summary given in Psalm 105 as to what happened in Egypt. If you turn there with me, Psalm 105, and we'll begin reading in... uh, Verse 23. Psalm 105. Notice verse 23. The Bible says, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. And he turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses his servant And Aaron, whom he had chosen, they showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings." He spake, and there came diverse sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hell for rain and flaming fire in their in their land. He smote their vines also and their fig trees and break the trees of their coasts. He spake, and the locusts came and caterpillars and that without number, and did eat up all the herbs of their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote also all the firstborn in their land the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. Now if you notice here as we look at this summary, we notice the last plague is mentioned last. The killing of the firstborn. But if you notice here, the order is not the order that we find in the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, the order in Psalm 105 is the first thing that is mentioned uh, in verse 28 is, He sent darkness and made it dark. That is the first one that is mentioned in Psalm. The the thing to be remembered, and uh, I was uh, thinking about that and I was wondering, why does God mention the darkness first? And then all the plagues are found in between, and finally the last plague is mentioned last. And so I think here we come as we close the three groups of plagues. This is, yes, the last one of the third group, but it's also the last one of all the groups. And so there's a message here in the idea of darkness coming upon the entire land I want to begin here as we return to Exodus chapter 10 uh, by uh, pointing out to the description of the plague. As we study our passage, uh, some have uh, uh, sought to provide a natural explanation uh, to the plagues. Even some years ago, Reader's Digest magazine had an article that was written which attempted to explain all the plagues by some natural phenomenon. Uh, Even some who are Bible expositors said, one of them, uh, Rawlinson Rawlinson said this, he suggested that the darkness could be attributed to a well-known natural phenomenon, the wind of the desert, or so-called a sandstorm. Even F.B. Meyer, which I've uh, quoted from this pulpit, mentions a sandstorm as a possible explanation for this darkness. But I like what Pastor John Butler said. He says, We do not need the unsteady crutch of natural phenomenon to explain these plagues. We do not leave out, we should not leave out the divine dynamic in these plagues. What happened here is not some natural phenomenon, although God uses natural uh, things that are natural, As in the locust and the flies, Uh, these are natural occurrences, but it is divine. It is supernatural because it comes from God. As we study those plagues here, uh, we consider first of all, there are several things that are mentioned about this plague specifically. The first thing that is described for us is the severity of the plague. If you notice with me in verse 21, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. I want you to see here the severity of this plague. In verse 21, the Bible tells us that this darkness is going to be such a dense darkness that it can be felt. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in such a state, in a place of darkness, that you can feel the darkness, but I think it's uh, probably more severe than any type of darkness that we have ever experienced. I, I remember some time ago, we, went, we were in Virginia, and we went to uh, a cave. I think it was a pastor that invited us to go, and we went down deep in the cave, and they would have lights throughout the cave so that you could see where you were going. But then we got so deep down in the cave and they said, all right, we're going to uh, do an experiment. We're going to shut off the lights. And you won't be able to see anything. You won't be able to even to see the hand in front of your face. And then they cut off the lights. And I, I had never had that sensation before. Because anytime there is darkness, there is typically the, the presence of some light. Uh, Even from the outside, even at night, if all the lights in the house are shut out, there's still maybe the the light of the moon and the light of the stars that comes. Even when it is completely cloudy, you can see even that the clouds are shining. Why? Because on the other side of the cloud, there is some form of light that pierces, pierces through. But when we were in that cave, there was absolute darkness. And I'm not going to say that you could feel the darkness, but it was a strange sensation uh, at some moment here, I felt that I was loose. I didn't know how to orient myself. You began to lose balance. They didn't uh, keep us in darkness for very long, but it was dense darkness. And here, this darkness is so dense that you can feel the darkness. In verse 22, not only is, a, is it a darkness that can be felt, The Bible describes and says in verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. We see that this darkness was so severe that it crippled the people. They, They couldn't leave and go out. They couldn't do the activities that they were usually involved in because the The darkness was so severe and and so dense, and so this darkness could be felt. This darkness crippled the people, but even in verse 23, the Bible says, "...they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings." And so we see here, another thing is that it tells us that this darkness choked out any light Now the reason why I say that is that you can imagine if uh, darkness fell upon the land of Egypt that the natural recourse for the Egyptians and their household is to not turn on the light on the light switch as we have today but to light a candle. And yet as the Egyptians would attempt to light a candle in whatever means they would use it would immediately be snuffed out because the darkness was so thick and so dense that What is the process of putting light on? Is You need oxygen. You need air. And you need a spark. Well, the darkness is so dense that there is no capability of turning any type of fire or light on. So this is a severe plague, something that has, I believe, never been experienced uh, uh, up to this point uh, in uh, the history of the world. And so we see the severity of the plague, but then we also see the span of the plague. In verse 22, the Bible says that this would be, this thick darkness would be in the land of Egypt for three days. Now, the ninth plague, as I mentioned, in a sense here is a climax because it is, yes, the last of the third group of plagues, but it is also the last plague of all three groups. And so in a sense here, this is a climax. This is the final plague before what? Before the end. And Scripture teaches us, we know that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. And when we think about darkness, darkness is the withdrawing of light. That's what darkness is. And so I think as we look here at this passage and what is going on, I think that we can say that this judgment of darkness may show us that Egypt has now been abandoned of God. Now now why would I say that Egypt is abandoned of God? Well, first of all, what is described for us here is there would be three days of darkness. It is the last plague of all the groups before the final plague. But there is also a pattern in the Scripture. If you remember, another event that occurred that was similar to that was at the crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45, when it was the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour... Jesus, crowd with a loud voice, and He said this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say what? My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? So understand, when Jesus said that, it was during the time of darkness, for again, three hours of complete darkness over the entire world, and what did that signify? Well, Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember, God hath made Him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so when Christ was made sin for us, understand that God abandoned Christ on the cross, and then when It was complete darkness. And so darkness in God's Word uh, by pattern means that God has abandoned. God has forsaken you. And so I believe here that as we see the darkness for three days in the land of Egypt, that God has sent the plagues one after the other. And now we come to the close of those three groups of plagues. And God, we see that as Pharaoh has hardened his heart... And as God has hardened the heart of Pharaoh, we come now to the climax that says God has abandoned you. There is darkness. God has tried to judge you. And by the way, each judgment was the mercy of God because anything but God wiping them out is the mercy of God. And finally, the darkness comes. And I believe it shows us that God has abandoned Egypt. And so we see the severity of the plague, the span of the plague, but we also see the separation of the plague. In verse 23, the Bible says, "...they saw not one another, neither rose any uh, from his place for three days, but but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings." It is interesting here to, to note that the children of Israel were able to have light in their dwellings. Now, We understand that if the Egyptians had the opportunity to have light, they would have light. Nobody rather take darkness for light. But they were not able to have light. But the children of Israel, the Bible says, had light in their dwellings. So I believe that the darkness completely covered the land of Egypt, including the Egyptians and the children of Israel. But in their dwellings, the children of Israel had light. You see, the light, I believe, was as supernatural as the darkness. You see, the Egyptians had a darkness that they could not light up. While the children of Israel had a light that could not be put out. Now, you say, well, what was that light? We don't know what that light is. But I think we know as we look a little further, and this is just me speculating, okay, so this is not me being categoric, but could it be as we see later when they go through the wilderness wandering that they are led by the light of God, by the Shekinah glory of God that could not be put out? And so in this darkness where we already know the Egyptians cannot turn the light on, but yet the children of Israel have light, the darkness which is the same for all, yet they who are in the same darkness have also a supernatural light that cannot be put out in their dwellings. So I believe it could be the glory of God shining in their dwelling places. So Egypt, remember, had not allowed Israel to worship their Jehovah God. And now Egypt is completely unable. To worship their gods, this plague again. As we uh, study a little bit of history and we consider uh, the Egyptian gods, is an attack upon Egyptian gods. Wilkinson's Ancient Egypt. He he says in Egypt, the sun was worshipped under the title of Ra. Uh, the name came conspicuously uh, toward the uh, forward to the title of the kings, the Pharaoh, or rather, phra meaning the sun. The name Ra comes from the idea of the sun. Ra was considered one of Egypt's greatest gods. The sun god Ra was considered one of the greatest blessings from the land of Egypt. Ra was even worshipped for providing warm warmth and light day after day without fail. John Wilson translated one of the Egyptian hymns that was written to Ra. Let me read you. Hail to thee, beautiful Ra of every day, who rises at dawn without ceasing, wearing himself with labor, thy rays are in one space without one knowing it. Fine gold is like the radiance of thee, thou who hast constructed thyself, thou didst fashion thy body a, a, a sharper. Uh, a, a shaper who was himself not shaped unique in his nature passing eternity the distant one under whose guidance are millions of ways just as thy radiance is like the radiance of heaven and thy color glistens more than its surfaces. That was a song that they would sing to the sun god Ra. Also affected by this darkness was the goddess of the sky, Hathor. Nut was another goddess of the sky. Athoth was the moon god. He was also the god of writing and also of the computation of time. You see, I know we talked about the Romans sometimes are attributed to the clock, the Roman numerals, but the Egyptians knew how to keep track of time way before the Romans did. And they attribute that to Thoth. Pharaoh himself was considered a god because he stood as the representation of Ra. That's why the Pharaoh always stood in the mind of the Egyptian as a god because the sun Ra was worshipped but the representation of that god was Pharaoh, a man. Ed Denon wrote, he says, Not only therefore was the source of light and heat eclipsed, From the Egyptians. But the God they worshipped was obscured and his powerlessness was demonstrated. A proof had they but eyes to see that a mightier than the Son, yea, the Creator of the Son, was dealing with them in judgment. While they were worshipping the Son, by the way, as we described in Romans chapter 1, that Men turned to God and they worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. They were worshipping the Son and God has been showing them, I am the Creator of the sun." So complete darkness would go over the land. That is a description of the plague. By the way, so severe is, is this plague. As we mention, as we see later in our text that Pharaoh is going to call for Moses and say, Go serve the Lord, in verse 24. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Some of those plagues would last seven days. Some of them would run their course. But this one was only three days. Why? Because I believe that that was all that was needed bring the Pharaoh and the Egyptians to the end of themselves. We not only see the description of the plague, but we also see in our text the decision of the Pharaoh. As we come to verse 24, the Bible says, And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. Notice here, it is before verse 24 that the Bible says that the plague of darkness is going to last for three days. We also know that the entire Egyptian population is going to be immobilized. They're not going to go anywhere. So, when Pharaoh, understand, when Pharaoh sends for Moses, the darkness is gone. Thus far, every time that Pharaoh has called for Moses, it's been in the midst of a plague. We need to stop this plague. Ask your God, entreat the Lord for us. That he may take away this plague. But this plague has been so severe in the heart and the mind of Pharaoh that even now that the darkness is gone, he calls for Moses and says, Go worship God. Just don't take the herds and the animals. In other words, that darkness was enough for Pharaoh to show the power of God. Just three days. And so the text tells us that the plague lasted for three days. This plague would leave such an impression on Pharaoh that as soon as there's light, he would immediately call for Moses to give him the final compromise. As we look in verse 24, and Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed, let your little ones also go with you. So Pharaoh offers one last compromise. If you remember, there's been different compromises. If I remember correctly, the first compromise was, well, offer sacrifice in the land. Just stay in Egypt. Don't go out. I believe the second time we saw a compromise, if you remember, was when he says, well, let the men go. Just leave the women and the children behind. And finally, here Pharaoh says, alright, you can have your the women and the little ones go. Just leave the herds behind. Understand, up to this point, the only thing that Moses asked was to go into the wilderness three days' journey and then come back. That was the agreement. Understand that when we get to the last plague, when Pharaoh sends them out, he sends them out permanently. And so while Moses asked, just to go and offer a feast to the Lord and to offer sacrifice to the Lord three days journey into the wilderness. The plan to this point is to come uh, to come back. But Pharaoh of his own mouth is going to grant them a greater request than they've asked for. He's going to tell them to leave and never come back. And so the attempt at compromise here is one last compromise of Pharaoh. And by the way, this shows us sometimes we We read later and we see here that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Understand that Pharaoh was already trying to play tricks with God. He was not willing to be completely obedient to God. He was trying to compromise. Saying, well, you can go, but not this part. You can go, but not this part. You can do this, but not in that way. Well, that's not what God said. And so as he continues in his rebellion, then God hardens his heart one more time. In verse 25, we not only see the compromise of Pharaoh, but we also see the complete obedience of Moses. If you notice in verse 25, Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Remember, that was the first thing that was asked for in Exodus chapter 5. We must offer sacrifice unto the Lord. Well, you can't offer sacrifice if you don't bring the animals. Well, that's common sense. Notice verse 26. Our cattle also shall go with us. And just so that the Pharaoh doesn't misunderstand, we're not going to take just enough cattle and enough sheep for the sacrifices. He says, There shall not a hoof be left behind. Am I specific enough? <laughs> not one hoof. For therefore must we take to serve the Lord our God and And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. Oh, I like that from Moses. That is complete obedience to God. Moses says, "All right, we don't know what God's going to request of us when we get there. We know we're going to offer sacrifice. We know we're going to offer a feast unto the Lord. And so we don't know what God's going to require when we get there. But we want to make sure that if God asks of us every single hoof, we will give it to Him. Complete obedience. Now, He could have said, well, I mean, by general, rule, why do we, we get a tenth to the Lord? No, no. We will give God everything if that is what He asks of us. Complete obedience. Why? Because God said, take everything. And Moses was not going to compromise. Complete obedience. So we see the compromise of Pharaoh and the complete obedience of Moses. But then lastly, we see the departure from the Pharaoh. Now, in verse 27 through 29, let, let's read those verses and then I'll give you a few things to think about. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and He would not let them go. By the way, the plague was God trying to get a hold of Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh, you see, he's, he's trying to compromise and try to Show some leniency but still being disobedient that is not Pharaoh getting right and so the more Pharaoh lives on the edge of obedience God hardens his heart again you see may we not sometimes we try to be as close to what is right but yet it's disobedience and so God hardens his heart one more time because he would not let the people go. And verse 28, And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Okay, now this is just, now, this is pike nine. We've been through a lot. Do you know what I feel like saying? Is that a threat? Excuse me? Pharaoh, is that a threat? Are you kidding me? That's what I feel like saying. Are you kidding me? Are you threatening me? It's plague nine. Wake up. Are you really threatening Moses, the messenger of God? Have have you not seen what God has done? Have you not seen the demonstration of the power of God? Haven't you not been convinced? And who are you to issue a threat against God's representative? Now, Moses said, I sense some graciousness. Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again. No more. So God hardens Pharaoh's heart. One more time in verse 27. Pharaoh then issues a threat to Moses. And then Moses says, that's right. You're not going to see my face anymore. Now, some, somebody might say at this point, say, well, wait a minute. We go into chapter 11, and there's like a meeting with Pharaoh. And then we go into chapter 12, and there se- seems to be another meeting with Pharaoh. So why does Moses say that? Well, let me present to you something. If you go with me to... First of all, let's go to chapter 12, Exodus 12. Verse 31 and 32. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also, take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. So you know how this is going to end? Pharaoh is going to say, Okay, now take your flocks. Take everything. Oh, and just, would you bless me as you go? Uh, by the way, that, that's a sign that even after the last plague, his heart is still not right. Why? Because he wants God's blessing without submission to him. Now, now, if you go with me to Exodus 11, notice if we go to chapter 11, so we read at the end of chapter 10, and Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face no more. Now I want you to pause here and think that the pattern in this chapter has been this. Notice Exodus 10 and verse 6. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians. Which neither thy fathers nor thy fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. So Moses turned around and went out of Pharaoh. He departed. Notice chapter 10, verse 18. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. We now go to chapter 11, verse 29. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. But there's not a statement that says, and then he left. I believe he didn't leave yet. Because then we go to chapter 11, notice what he says later, chapter 11, verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be uh, like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that they may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel and all these thy servants shall come down unto me. Now notice here. He had said at the end of chapter 10, you're not going to see me again. I believe in chapter 11, Moses is still in the presence of Pharaoh. And he says, the next time we're going to converse, it's going to be, you will send your servants to me. And bow down themselves unto me. When your servants come, they're going to bow themselves down to me, saying, get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. So then the Bible says, and then he went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So, I think at the end of chapter 10, he hasn't left yet. That God gives him a revelation to communicate to Pharaoh the last plague that is coming, and then the Bible says he leaves. There's a pattern that the Bible puts at the end of a meeting with Pharaoh where God says, and he left. But there's not that statement at the end of chapter 10. And so we get to chapter 11. And Moses closes this last meeting and he says, the next time you will send your servants." Now go to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Notice verse 31. So this is after the 10th plague. The Bible says, And he, Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as ye have said. I believe that Pharaoh did not say himself that himself to Moses and Aaron. He sent his servants. Just like Moses announced in chapter 11. So when Moses, at the end of, uh, of chapter 10, verse 29, he says, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. He was right. It would be in his presence. Whoa. That's just... Uh It would be in his presence that he would announce the last plague and say to Pharaoh, the next time you're going to send your servants and they're going to bow before me and they're going to tell us to go. And that's exactly what happened in chapter 12. You see, chapter 12, verse 31, he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up and get you forth from among my people. That could be Very easily said that he sent the messenger and says, rise up and leave. There is no other meeting in the face or in the presence of Pharaoh again. So as we go back, notice in chapter 10... Pharaoh said unto him, verse 28, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face no more. We will go into chapter 11 next week. But I want us to think here about those three days of darkness That have expired in the sense of God abandoning Egypt. You see, we we go back and we look through Plague 1 and 2 and 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. How long? How long is God going to allow this to happen? How long is God going to allow the rebellion to go unpunished? How long is God going to reveal and demonstrate His mercy towards the Egyptians? That's how long. Because on the ninth plague, darkness comes and God says, that's it. That's it. I've abandoned Egypt. There's one more plague that's coming and that one plague will be the final plague. You see... God turns over when sin goes on persistent time after time after time after time. God gets to the place where He completely abandons them. Do we remember, we think about Egypt, the progression of the plagues. If you remember, before Moses shows up, Egypt is beautiful. Farmers everywhere cultivating the land. Beautiful uh, temples dedicated to different Egyptian gods all along the Nile River, where daily worship was offered to false gods. Beautiful gardens surrounding those temples. The, The palace of the Pharaoh is just some beautiful wonder to behold. And the gardens all around and the beauty of Egypt was no doubt breathtaking. And by the time that God is done with them, Egypt is left a barren land. If you remember, as we think about the plague, God began just by turning the water to blood. The Nile that they worshipped, he, he turned that very Nile to blood. Someone of I said, All the fish in the river died. You can imagine the stench that goes up in uh, the land of Egypt. And after that, from the river proceeds all the frogs. They were everywhere, literally everywhere in their chambers and in their kneading troughs and their bowls will, where they may feel there was frogs everywhere and then God didn't send away the frogs. The frogs all died there and so the Egyptians had to collect, get their shovels out and they had to put all the frogs in a heap and what they would probably have done was burn but you can imagine the stench of the burned flesh all throughout Egypt and Uh, the land just uh, after the blood and the dead frogs everywhere. You can imagine the stench going up and the people thinking of Egypt as a a place of beauty a place to behold and to look at all the wonders and now you, you don't really want to even want to step in that country because the, the stench of dead flesh everywhere is so strong and then God sends uh, the lice upon the bodies of men and they're, uh, irri- they're irritating the bodies of the Egyptians and they're uh, frustrated now the uh, priests in Egypt are not going to go to the temple anymore because they, they could not if they had any defilement on them if they were cut anywhere, if they had any hair on their body, if they had any type of 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 scar or bite mark, they would not go into the temple and, and offer worship to their gods, and so Egyptian worship has ceased all throughout the land of egypt, and then God send a swarms of flies, and the swarm of flies we know are described in psalm one o five as devouring the flesh of men and of beast, and so uh, the men have and the women and everybody has been tormented, and then God attacks their wealth and he kills. All Egyptian cattle that is out in the field, they all die. And so now you have dead bodies everywhere. And you have more stench in the land of Egypt. And then after the death of all the cattle, there's dead carcasses everywhere, except in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel dwell. And then you go and you find that that there's boils on the bodies of men from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. This is painful. And there's wailing all throughout the land of Egypt where people are in pain. And then God, after there's this uh, stench all throughout the land persisting through those plagues, then we see God sends the hell and He destroys all their crops with the hell. The harvest that was about to happen is not going to happen anymore. And then there's a second harvest that's going to come a little later and so God sends the locust, and the locusts are also going to cover the land. And so if there's anything green that is left after the hail destroyed. The Bible says there was fire coursing through the earth, destroying everything. And so now you can see the ravage all throughout the land of Egypt. And now you get to the place where God sends the locusts and they, anything green that is left, they devour it. And so by the time the locusts are done, uh, uh, Egypt is a waste and barren land. And then God sends a darkness, if you would... He, he shuts the light off. It would be a time we, what we might think in being in the shoes of the Egyptians to think about it was not just that long ago that we looked at our cities as... Um, As mighty and beautiful and powerful, we looked at our army and so look at the the might of Egypt. We look at the temples and we worshiped our gods. And then God sent all those plagues and then God shut the light off. And then they're sitting there for three days thinking about all that's happened. And then the lights come back on and it's still a barren land. There is nothing in Egypt, there's no crops for this season. There's no more cattle in the field. There's no more beautiful gardens. There's no more priests worshiping in the temple. There's no more Pharaoh standing on his throne in confidence representing the God Ra of the sun. And God abandons Egypt. You see, all the blessing that Egypt experienced came from the hand of God. What caused the crops to grow? Well, the Nile overflowed every year, feeding the land. The sun would shine day after day, causing the crops to grow. You see, all that they attributed to other gods... God showed them that He was the one that had blessed the nation in the first place. All blessing on earth come from God. In a nation like the nation of Egypt that got to the place where they were worshipping the creature more than the Creator there comes a point when God abandons them. Let me remind you that when Egypt ascended, it was under the rule of Joseph. Who represents the blessing of God. Everything that Joseph did, God blessed it. But then in in Egypt, there arose a king who did not know Joseph. Who did not know where the blessing of God came from. And progressively the the nation of Egypt got worse and worse and worse and worse until finally God says you have been persistent in your sin. You've been persistent in your rebellion. I have abandoned you and all blessings are gone. By the way, I believe that God can still do that. Where God can bless a nation. because they have acknowledged God but then God can also send His judgment to try to get that same nation to turn to Him and that nation can get to the place where God says I'm abandoning you that could be America where the persistent of sin and rebellion against God, where God allows things and sends things to try to get a hold of people, to try to get the attention of people, but when people are persistent in their sin, God gets to the place where He says, I've abandoned you. But here's the word of encouragement as I left you with last week. Do you remember when there was darkness all throughout the land of Egypt? There was light. Where? In the dwellings of the children of Israel. Now that's interesting. Because we live in a world where the Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. But then we are reminded what Jesus said. He says, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. Isn't it interesting that when you see God abandoning the land of Egypt at the very same time He says, but there is still light where? In the dwellings of the Egyptians. So I may strip away all my blessing that I've given to that nation and even when the land is completely barren I can still bring a people through the darkness. And that's God's people. So that's encouraging, isn't it? So the temptation is to focus on all oh, the darkness, all oh, the darkness, all oh, the darkness. Look at the darkness all around us. Look at the darkness in the land. Look at the darkness in the, in the land. And we forget that there is light in the dwelling. We forget that we are the light of the world. We forget that the light is what pierces the darkness. And the only reason why there is darkness is because there is no light. And so we ought to be stirred up and say, instead of focusing on the darkness, focus on the light. And if you're a Christian, that's you. You see, we can spend all of our time complaining about the darkness, complaining about the darkness. And if we complain too much about the darkness, we miss the light. Why? Because the darkness had everybody. The darkness hit everybody. But the Egyptians didn't know something. They didn't know what? There was light in the house of the children of Israel. You see, we know something that the world does not know. We have something that the world does not have. And so... We'll continue in our text next week. But let's, let's not think of all the negatives. Let's look for the things that are encouraging in the midst of judgment. Because God is there. Uh, the psalmist put it this way. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What did he say? Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. When we think about how great the darkness is, please think about how great the light is. The miracle of the light in the dwelling is just as powerful of a judgment as the darkness was. Same power.